Good morning. It's good to see you this morning or to at least be able to address you this morning long for the days when we will be able to gather back together in body of belief to celebrate, to sing songs, to dance, to praise our God. But until God in his infinite wisdom uh, eradicates this pandemic that is in the land, preventing us from physical gathering. I am so thankful for technology, this ability to still reach out, to minister to both believers and non-believers alike, to hopefully inspire you for what is next. I've been, over the last few weeks, and especially here at Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center, we have been dealing with the topic of forgiveness, and we've talked a lot about it. This past Tuesday, we introduced the topic of unity, unity both uh, in the body of GMFC and unity in the body of Christ. And I find uh, there's been a foundation over the last several months that is being built, the, the end goal being the unification of the body of Christ. <clears throat> forgiveness is where it starts. Without forgiveness, there can be no unity no foundation upon which a relationship can stand has to be forgiveness. Talked at length about a about forgiveness and about being at odds with one another and being uh, offensive or taking offense to one another. And I think that we, as they say, beat that horse. We talked a little bit uh, last week again about unity. One of the things that God has been really uh, Pressing upon my heart is the word love. We know that we are championed in love. It was the love of God for us that has allowed us to stand in redemption. The love of God for us that has allowed us to be rejoined, reconnected, have the ability to not sit outside the throne to actually stand in the very throne room of God, seated next to him <clears throat> with Christ. And I want to talk a little bit today about love, because without love, cannot have can't have unity without forgiveness, cannot have unity without love. So I'm led to ask you this question today. How do you relate to your redemption? Before you answer that question, I, I kind of want you to think about that question throughout this lesson today, because I believe that the fullness of the love of God is demonstrated in his plan of redemption. I want us to take a look at the book of Genesis. For those that know me, my favorite book of the Bible, the 24th chapter beginning in verse 1. And the word says, And Abraham was old and well stricken in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, 
among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country, and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Genesis, the 24th chapter, starting at the first and ending at the fourth. Now the highlight or the uh, portion of, of the text that I want you to underline or pay close attention to, because they're very powerful words, is this. Take a wife unto my son Isaac. The first of four thoughts that I want to leave with you today, and don't get nervous. I know you can tune me out where when we're gathered together, you're kind of stuck sitting there, but I'm not going to belabor the point or be before you long. This will be a multi-part sermon, so I'll stick to the time constraints for which we have. But the first of four thoughts that I want to leave with you this morning is the purpose of the Father as it relates to marriage. Abraham is the personification of, of uh, Almighty God because he's the father of the son of a miracle birth. Abraham, the father of Isaac, is a quintessence of God, our father. What is the great desire of Father Abraham? Well, the great desire of Abraham is a bride for his son. This is seen in verse 4. I want to emphasize it very clearly. He tells his servant, go and bring a bride to my son. Go into that far country and bring back the bride. Now, what is this great desire of our Heavenly Father? What is his heartbeat? What is the center of his emotion that pulsates through the marvelous heart of God? I want to tell you that God, in this day, in this age, in this time, is doing one thing. He is bringing a bride to his son, the Lord Jesus. It declares such in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, where the Lord Jesus gives a parable about God the Father. The heart of the parable is this. The kingdom of heaven is uh, like unto a certain king which made a marriage for a son. Read that in Matthew 22 and 2. And Jesus went on to show us in that a parable that the king, the king is almighty God. And the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king that made a marriage for his son. And so the Lord Jesus is receiving a gift from heaven and that gift is his bride. Jesus, when he was praying in the 17th uh, chapter, 24th verse of the book of John, thanked the Father for the bride that was given him. He says this, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. John 17, 24. He says, Father, I just thank you for the bride that you have given to me. Now, why does a father seek a bride? Well, why did Abraham seek a bride for Isaac? Abraham knew that Isaac needed a bride. He needed a bride to complete him, to make him whole. You know, in Genesis, God says this, Genesis 2 and 18, and it's very important because in the current day, we're seeing how this very uh, framework of family is under attack 
and even being broken. He says this, Genesis 2 and 18, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a fitting help for him. That is, I will make someone to complete him, to make him perfectly whole. Have you ever heard a man say about his wife that she is my better half? Referring to his wife being an actual part of his very self? Or a wife say that I just can't quite function without him? Indicating that there is something about him that fulfills needs that she has. You see, there's something special about marriage. Its purpose is to make us whole, and we're in a sense just half of a person without him. Now, as I typically do, I say things for the sole purpose to get you to think. And what I'm about to say may shake you to the core of your faith, but let me say it, and you just hold still so that I can explain to you what it is that I'm saying. Jesus, without the church, is incomplete. Jesus, without his bride, is not a complete or fulfilled Jesus. I know that your wheels are turning, but let's go to the book of Ephesians, the first chapter. I want you to hear what I'm saying, and don't change what I have said. I did not say that Jesus was imperfect or that Jesus is lacking in his nature, his character, or his being, or he is less than in any way. But I am saying that there is something about the plan and the scheme of God that make the Lord Jesus Christ unfulfilled without the church. In fact, it is the culmination of all God has done, realized in the marriage of the Lamb of God. I heard it once said, what does it profit you to gain everything but have no one with for which to share it with? In Ephesians, the first chapter, for just a moment, I want you to look for, with me at, a, at two verses, the 22nd and the 23rd. And here we're talking about the church. And the Bible says, God has put all things under his feet, that is, under the feet of Jesus and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. So now Jesus is the head of the church. And then notice how the Bible describes the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So the church is the fullness of Christ. That's what it says. You can look right there. I'm not hiding it from you or pulling it out of left field. Ephesians, the first chapter, the 22nd and the 23rd verse clearly states that the fullness of Christ is his body or the church. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. The church, which is his body, the church, which is the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That word fullness means that which makes full or better, that which completes. It's the church that fulfills Christ. It is the church that completes Christ. It is the church, therefore, that fills a great longing, a void of sorts in the heart and mind of Christ. Now, Christ is the epitome and the embodiment of love. 
very simply put, Christ is love, and being love, he needs someone to love. What good is it to be love without having someone to exercise your being on? He has set his affections on us, and he loves us. And just as a man would be incomplete and unfulfilled without his bride, so the Lord Jesus is incomplete and unfulfilled without us. And we are incomplete and we are unfulfilled without him. Many people spend a lifetime trying to find something that completes them. But only until you have come to the understanding of the purpose of marriage can you find the fullness that is so long evaded you. So the father's desire, his great desire, or the purpose of the father, is to seek a bride for his son. I want you to continue to look and see what the father says. Now look again back in Genesis. We're going to flip back over to Genesis, the 24th chapter, uh, verse 2. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear. Swear what? That you will go get a bride for my son. This is the promise. This is what the purpose of this servant is. Abraham is commissioning and sending his servant under an oath that he will bring back a bride for Isaac. Now, whom did Abraham send to seek this bride? Well, the Bible in the verse that I just read to you in the 24th chapter tells you that he sends his eldest servant who ruled over all that he had. Well, what's his name? Well, you won't find his name mentioned in the 24th chapter of the book of Genesis, but you will find his name mentioned in Genesis, the 15th chapter and the second verse. His name is Eliezer. Now, what does the name Eliezer mean? Is there some connection here? Is there some importance to his name connected to what God is doing? Well, the first two letters in his name, E-L or L, tells us that the first part of the name means God. You remember the lessons that I've taught you related to the names of God, and one of those names that we discussed is Elohim. El, the first two letters. It is the name, one of the Old Testament names, for God. Now, the last part of the name, Eliezer, means the servant or the helper of God. So now, here is a servant who is sent who has a very unusual name. He is God's helper. This is what the name means, God's helper. And who do you think Eliezer represents? Well, as I look at the text and compare it to what God is doing in this day, in this current season of humanity, it speaks to me of the Holy Ghost sent by the Father into the world to seek a bride for the Son. You see, the Holy Spirit is called the helper of God. Have you ever read the book of Romans in the 8th chapter in the 26th verse where the Bible says the Spirit helpeth our infirmities, Romans 8 and 26. 
You see, that is what the Holy Spirit is. He is the heavenly helper. The Spirit helpeth our infirmities is what the Word declares. Do you know what the Lord Jesus Christ is called? The servant of Jehovah. To be a servant does not demean anyone. To be a servant, in fact, elevates you. Jesus said, he who would be the greatest among you, let him be your servant. Matthew 23 and 11. The Holy Spirit is the helper or the Eliezer from above, sent by God the Father into this world to seek a bride for his son, Jesus. And so he is the one whom God has sent. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is sent into the world to call together that which will fulfill Christ. I'm going somewhere here. So God is bringing all of his purpose into one great purpose. He's doing it in this day, in this age, which is why we believe this is the end time. He wants to call out a bride for his son. That bride is you and I. The body of believers, those that are the redeemed of the Lord, those who make up the church. Notice I said make up the church and not make up any given denomination. For denominationalism in and of itself speaks of separation and a divide of theology and understanding, and in that very divide separates us from being together in the body of the Lord. Jesus never intended that the church would fracture into denominations, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now the Bible calls the church in the New Testament over and over again the bride of Christ. It's important that you understand this. This is why there's such an onslaught against even being identified in this day in the church, in being a fellowship in the church, in the church itself coming together. Because the enemy recognizes and understands that it is the church that will fulfill Christ. Now, I want you to understand something that's very important because sometimes we miss this. Sometimes we kind of gloss over it. Sometimes we just say it without understanding its full physical, psychological, emotional impact in this reality. Jesus is in love with the church. Jesus is in love with his bride, and his bride is the church. As a matter of fact, this is the greatest love affair in history, in the history of creation, in the history of all that there is. There is no other love like the love that Jesus has for his bride. Now, the second thing that I want you to understand is the predetermination of the bride. Now, the bride here 
was in the heart and mind of Abraham before the bride itself or herself knew that she was the bride. She didn't know that she was the bride. I want you to look again at verse 4 in Genesis, the 24th chapter. He says this, A wife unto my son Isaac, thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Notice he did not say, go find a woman who is uh, who can uh, come meet my son and hopefully they become, but he said, go and find a wife. Now, you've heard me say things like this before. Sometimes we are looking for the wrong thing. Then we're frustrated when we find what we're not looking for. But Abraham was very clear. He didn't want Eliezer to just go find any woman. He didn't want Eliezer to go find the most beautiful woman, the wealthiest woman, the most sensual woman. He wanted Eliezer to go find a wife. There's something important in there for you, brethren. When you're out and you're seeking that which will fulfill you and complete you, it is for you to go find a wife. Not every woman fits that bill. You need to go find a wife, not just a woman. Some of you have found a girlfriend. And because you found a girlfriend, you're frustrated because you made a girlfriend your wife, but she's acting like a girlfriend. Find a wife. The Bible declares, he that findeth a wife finds a good thing, finds favor of the Lord. You've got to understand what it is you're looking for. Now, while we're talking, while they were planning, while they were taking counsel together, Abraham and Eliezer, here comes the bride from a far country. She didn't know anything about being a bride. They were talking about her behind her back. There she was, not knowing, not dreaming, not understanding that somewhere two particularly important people were holding a conversation about her. In the heart and in the mind of God, she had already been chosen. She had been predestined to be the bride of the Son. Now, if you'll skip down to verse 14 of this same chapter, you're going to find something very interesting. It says this in Genesis 24 and 14. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee that I may drink, and she shall, she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Now, all of that I, I don't have time to explain right now or to get into, but I want you to see the main point. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. Now, the point is this. The woman was appointed. That is the point. You see, in the heart and mind of God, there was a specific girl. God was not sending out the Holy Spirit to find any girl or any woman, but the woman that was appointed to be 
the bride of his son. Abraham sent Eliezer to find the wife that was appointed to be the wife of his son Isaac. It's very important that you understand this. They were planning for her. They were talking about her. And she didn't know it. But the Bible brings it into even sharper focus in verse 14 that she was divinely appointed. And because she is divinely appointed, she becomes all the more beautifully a picture of the church. Turn to Ephesians, the first chapter in the fourth verse. And I want you to highlight this, Ephesians 1 and 4, because it, it talks about you and I. And it's important that you understand when the Bible is talking about you and I, so we understand our place, so we can function in our position, so we can operate under our authority, so we understand even what our authority and power and grace is. The Bible says this, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Before he laid the very foundations of this world of creation in a secret council, in the council halls of the Almighty, there was a conference held, there was a bride chosen. He was talking about you and I, the body of believers who have been able to in truth declare that they are the redeemed of the Lord. We have been appointed as the redeemed of God, the church, to be the bride of Christ. And because we are appointed to be the bride of Christ, Christ has set his affection on us. This should be a wonderful thought that you were chosen in him before the very foundation of the world. That means that you have purpose. You were chosen, you were created on purpose to fulfill Christ. What an amazing purpose you are. You are that which completes the Almighty, the Savior and the Redeemer of the world. Now, that doesn't mean that we didn't have any choice about it, but we choose him because he first chose us. Later on uh, in, in this lesson series that I'm beginning today, you're going to see that this bride decided that she would be the bride. And she cons consented and consecrated herself to be the bride. She agreed. She made a conscious decision to be the bride. But she chose, in this sense, in what um, Abraham said Eliezer to find, was a wife for his son Isaac. In that degree, she chooses to become Isaac's wife, but Isaac chose her first. Do you know why First Lady loves me? You might be thinking to yourself, I really have no idea why she's in love with you. Well, let me tell you. First Lady loves me because I first loved her. That's right. In the ninth grade, 
I put my eyes upon her and I watched as she walked across a parking lot. The parking lot of a movie theater. Those in GMFC have heard me tell this story. It was almost a Baywatch moment as she walked. Slow motion, time began to slow down. You've heard me tell this story. I'm not ashamed of this story. I'll tell this story till the day I die. I knew in that moment something that was vital to my own existence. Now, she had no idea who I was, but I determined in that moment that she was going to be my bride. She didn't know it. She hadn't been consulted about it. Later that evening, when I obtained her phone number and called her on the telephone, I spoke to her with words that mesmerized her very soul, and something started working right there on that phone call. People of God, you've got to understand something took place in the heavenlies. She loves me because I first loved her. You know the story. You best believe I fell in love fast and furious. And I want to tell you that the Heavenly Father has had his eyes on you a long time before you had your eyes on him. You were in the heart and in the mind and in the bosom of Almighty God. God saw you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He saw the beauty that you are. Don't you understand, people of God, that before the foundation of the world, God had a Baywatch moment. God saw time even begin to freeze as he looked and peered at you. He saw you where there was no time. He gazed upon you and predestined that you would not only be the redeemed of the Lord, but you would be the redeemed of the Lord so that you can be the bride of the Lord, so that you could complete the Lord. Now, the third thing I want to leave with you today is the program of the servant. Notice here that the servant was sent by the father to seek a bride for the son. And remember the servant whose name is Eliezer or the helper of God. I want you to notice with me, if you will, today, three things about the program of this servant as it relates to the bride. And then I'm going to leave you alone. Incidentally, the bride's name is Rebecca. And we're going to meet her in a little bit as we get further into this series. But here was the servant now who went off into a far country. And thereby some providential happenings meets Rebecca, this young woman who had been predestined to be the fulfillment of the son Isaac. And I wish I had time this morning to tell you all of this marvelously intriguing story, but I have not the time except to say it was providential, that God himself watched over it, that God guided it all the way, and he finally comes to meet this Rebecca. And then he starts to tell her about Isaac. It's important that you understand we're going somewhere. You're going to understand before this sermon series is over, not only your purpose, but the 
glory of who you are in the eyes of Christ. Now, the three things this servant did with reference to Rebecca were these. First, he was her convincer. He had to convince her about Isaac. And not only was he her convincer, but he was also her counselor because he had to teach her about Isaac. Not only was he her convincer and her counselor, but he was also her comforter. He was the one who had stayed beside her to guide her to Isaac and just to give her comfort along the way. Now, I want you to see how Eliezer did that with this beautiful lady named Rebecca. First, he was her convincer. He was her convincer. Look, if you will, in verse 34 and see he is talking, and this is what he says. I am Abraham's servant, and the Lord hath blessed my master greatly, and he is become great. And he hath given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and men servants and maid servants and camels and asses. Now he goes on to say, And Sarah, my master's wife, bare a son to my master when she was old, and unto him hath he given all that he had. Genesis 24, 34-36, you can take some time and read it and meditate on it later. Now the first thing that he does, that he starts to convince her. He's trying to make a compelling argument of the validity and the prosperous uh, manner in which her uniting with Isaac would be. And he does this, talking to her, or better yet, bragging to her. That's right. He starts bragging. And do you know what he brags about? He brags about Abraham, and then he brags about Isaac. He talks about the riches of Abraham, and he talks about the resources of Isaac. In verse 35, he's talking about Abraham's riches. He just, he just says, listen, my master is blessed. He's great. He's got it all. He's got flocks. He's got herds. He's got silver. He's got gold. He's got servants. He's got it all. Then he talks about the riches of Abraham, and then he talks about the resources of Isaac, because all that the father has belongs to the son. Don't you see it? He says, and he had a son. He's connecting the wealth of Abraham to Isaac. He could have said he was the son of a miracle birth, that he was the fulfillment son of a prophecy. He is the son of promise. He is the son of hope, and the father has given all things to the son. Man, that's what he talked about. That's what his servant did. He started compelling her heart and her mind, connecting with her emotions, and man, he did a good job. He didn't speak of himself. He testified as he ought about Abraham and about Isaac. Now, does this remind you of anyone else? Well, it reminds me of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 15 and verse 26, but when the comforter, that is the paraclete, the one who represents another, when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, 
he shall testify or he shall brag of me. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in you right now. He's bragging of the Father. He's bragging of the Son. I want to tell you why I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God sent the Holy Ghost to me to testify about him. That's why you love the Father. That's why you love the Son. Because of the Holy Ghost. And listen, you talk about a powerful testimonial. Do you know what kind of a job he did on Rebecca? Here's what he did. He was so powerful in the utterance of his words, in the crafting of his speech. He was so convincing. He was so mesmerizing that he talked this young, beautiful lady to go with him. A man she never met before until this very moment. A man uh, that she had never known, had never seen to meet a man and marry a man that she had never seen or never known. Now, girls, that's a pretty good line. You ought to just say amen to that. Suppose some man came up to you, you'd never met him before, and he starts talking to you, and in just a little while, just through the power of persuasion, just by talking about the riches of his master, and just by talking about the resources of the master's son, he persuades you to leave your father and your mother, your house and your land and all that you know and all that you have to go be with a man that you've never met. Not just to be with, but to marry this man you've never seen. I want to tell you that's persuasion. That really is the power of persuasion. That's exactly what the Holy Ghost has done in the heart and in the mind of the bride of Christ. Some people come to hear a preacher preach and they say, well, he's a manipulator. He's a real persuader. He's a magician with his words. People of God, let me tell you something. Anything I can talk you into, somebody else can talk you out of. Just write it down. I'm not interested in manipulating you. I pray when I preach that it will never happen. It's not my desire to manipulate you. That's the reason that I have to be filled with the Holy Spirit when I preach. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down and sits on the words that are being cast out of my mouth and being projected into the atmosphere of your mind so that that atmosphere can be permeated by the power and the grace and the love of God to meet you at the point of your need. You see, sure, I am the human instrument, but behind the human instrument is the power, the authority of Almighty God. And the Bible declares we are witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. I'm so grateful that it's not my job to convince you that Jesus is Lord. I'm so glad it's not my job to explain it to you, to make you understand it, because I can't. I can't preach uh, anything but the truth, but only he can impart truth. And I thank God that he imparts truth into you. I'm not dependent upon what I'm able to do. 
Sometimes people come and they sit down and they listen to a preacher and they almost get into a mental argument with that preacher. They say, that's what he says. But the Holy Spirit is the great convincer. She was convinced because she said, I will go with this man. Understand there was power. There was authority. There was love. All in the words that were being spoken. To captivate not only the heart, but the mind and the emotions. In that evening that I talked to my wife on the phone, we made a spiritual connection. And I made a prophetic utterance that is bowed true even to this day. I declared unto her, I knew that I found my wife, not just a girlfriend, not just a pretty lady, but I had found my wife and that she would be just that. I spoke to her spirit. I spoke to her mind. I spoke to her heart. I spoke to her emotions. She was captivated and caught away by the elegance in which I spoke. And that started right there and was fulfilled in the year 1991. On the 22nd day of the fifth month of the year. That day, this man became fulfilled. And there's a day coming when you and I, the redeemed of the Lord, shall fulfill Christ. We shall solidify the greatest love affair in history. That day at the marriage feast, next week, I'll finish this out, this part of this sermon series. I just wanted to give you a sampling of the love affair of Jesus and his bride. The church. Are you in love with Jesus? I can tell you of an assurity that Jesus is in love with you. You don't want to miss the two other things that the servant was and is now. I encourage you, make your plans to be with me next Sunday at 11 o'clock in the a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So you can learn more about this love that Jesus has for his bride and how you fit the bill, how God saw you and was captivated by your beauty, mesmerized by your grace. Come be with me next Sunday. You don't want to miss what God is saying to his bride. God bless you. Heaven smile upon you.
know that I love you, but God loves you best. Have a wonderful Sunday and an amazingly prosperous week.